Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Today on the program, we feature professional bass player John Montagna. John's featured in another podcast on Music Life Radio. It's the Road Diaries, number 18. John talks about his time on the road with the Happy Together Tour as a member of the Godfrey Townsend Band, which is the house band for... A bunch of classic rock revival artists, including Mickey Dolenz from The Monkees, Lindsey Buckingham from Paul Revere and The Raiders, Flo and Eddie from The Turtles. Uh, check that one out. You'll get a good background on what life is like on the road for a professional bass player. This podcast, we focus on an interview with John, talk about his session work, his work backing up artists like Alan Parsons, Todd Rundgren, Denny Lane... John lives in Brooklyn, New York with his wife Jill and their daughter Francesca. I was lucky enough to be able to conduct an interview with him via Skype. Anyway, a little bit of background about John. He's recorded four independent solo CDs. He works as a member of the Godfrey Townsend Band. He is making his living through music. and It's amazing to sit back and get the chance to talk with somebody that is a professional musician like John. So sit back and enjoy this wonderful interview with professional bass player John Montagna. What does music mean to you? What does music mean to me? Yeah, that's an easy question for me to answer. (laughs) (laughs) I was surrounded by it growing up. You know, my mother's a classical pianist. My dad's a guitarist. So it was always around. I guess I inherited the gene. It's always come very easily to me. But being good at music doesn't necessarily always mean that you enjoy it but i gotta say i still enjoy it a tune can come on the radio and i can go yeah let's you know turn that up i can't drive the car without music playing i still really love it it can be relief it can be comfort you you know music is one of those arts that just evokes so much more than you know than the other arts i think you know if you're watching a movie and there's no music in it the story can drag on forever and ever and ever. I don't want to say that it means everything to me because I'm I'm a man first, and I'm a father, and I'm a husband, and I'm a son, and a brother, and a cousin, and I'm a musician. So I don't want to say that it like defines me or any of that, but it's definitely the thing that I you know that I that I still have the greatest passion for, and you know I take time now every day to to really remind myself how 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 fortunate i am to be able to sort of have my life set up around it yeah very cool very cool yeah i hope that hope that makes sense being a professional bass player that you are i know yeah. you've done a fair amount of session work or work on uh, other projects other people's projects so right sideman yeah how do, how do you get signed on for that work and what's a typical day like in the studio as a session yeah. player yeah. How do you get signed on? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, the the truth is, you know, New York is not what it was, 
you know, 20 years ago or even, you know, 15 years ago in terms of session work. I often wish I'd been born in 1952 instead of 1972. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I would have been like in my mid-20s when the session boom was happening, when guys were, you know, when there was so much music being recorded, all the TV spots, all the jingles, all the records that were being made here, and guys were just working constantly. The session scene in New York is is definitely uh, not what it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, but the, the sessions that I've done, the bulk of the sessions that I've done were, were mainly for sort of, you know, unsigned acts, you know, local acts who are, you know, financing a recording themselves. And uh, I just get called for those from, you know, through word of mouth, either... Uh, you know, one of the other musicians will know me. There's really no set way to get session work anymore, especially that there's not as much of it. <laughs> but it's like anything else, knowing producers, knowing engineers, knowing other musicians. As far as a typical day on a session, I'll usually get the music in advance. Someone will either send me a CD or email me an MP3, and I'll at least hear the song, get a sense of of uh what the vibe is uh, and that'll that'll sort of inform my decision about which bass to bring and then that's basically it from there you you uh you show up there's uh they they get sounds and then you you go about it i mean every situation is different there's no one set way that sessions are done anymore um a lot of what i was doing for a while was uh like i say like local acts and I was I was in a pretty decent group for a while at at Cove City Sound, which is a place in Long Island that's run by uh, Richie Canada, who's, mm-hmm. who's Billy Joel's sax player. Yeah, okay. And he recorded a lot of local acts there, uh, a lot of young young acts. And um, there was myself and a drummer, usually putting rhythm section tracks to a click and an acoustic guitar track. So, you know, you spend your, you know, your eight hours getting drum sounds and then your, your minute and a half getting the bass sound. And then uh, from there, you just, uh, you go about, uh, you know, making a pocket that, uh, that fits in. And, uh, and that's basically it. I mean, I wish I had a better answer than like what a typical day in the studio is like, because I, I haven't really created a, 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 a successful session career for myself. I mean, I've done a lot of them, but I wouldn't consider myself a, a session player. You know, there, there are other guys that are more like the first few calls that get made for sessions. I, I'm, I've, I've done a lot more live playing and, and, and touring sure. and most of the consistent recording that I've done has been on my own mm-hmm. but there's a certain headspace that you get into knowing that the thing that you're doing is going to be on a permanent record it's you know unlike a live performance which is going to go out into the air and you know you're, you're playing off the, the crowd's vibe this is more like you're, you're creating a work that's going to be the same every single time and, uh, you know, so there's, there's other things that you need to take into consideration. For me, it's, it's about the groove. I mean, the stuff that I usually get called for is, you know, uh, you know, rock oriented and, uh, you know, the pocket's got to be solid. And I can tell you that I prefer doing rhythm tracks live with other musicians, with a drummer 
in the room. I don't. I'm not. I'm not a real fan of like putting a bass track down to something that's already finished. Mm-hmm, yeah, because there's just there's no there's no give and take. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you're much more of comfortable in the live environment anyway. So uh, well, the, I don't. I don't, about, I don't know about comfortable. I've just. I'm more. I'm more experienced with it. You know, there there were guys that came to New York and said, "I'm going to be a session player," and they got yeah. they got in with all the studios and. You know, I didn't really, I didn't really penetrate the studio scene such as it was. I mean, when I came back to New York from Berkeley in Boston, it was 1995, and by that point, you know, Pro Tools was just beginning to sort of surface as the main thing. Um, you know, the days of like the big, you know, session scene. Of like all the all the Paul Simon records and all of the all all the big records being made in New York all the time that was starting to kind of go away. And the sessions that I did get called for were usually it was like an office space somewhere, and a guy would have a computer, and every all everything would be you know MIDI or already tracked somewhere else, and they would just need a live bass on it, and they would say just play some stuff, and uh, you know we'll do a few passes, and then we'll we'll choose the best one, you know. And, uh, you know, I got fortunate to play in a few situations where there was, you know, some teamwork. Um, I worked with a guy named Chris Orbach, buddy of mine who's a singer-songwriter, and he took the old-school approach of putting a band together, and the four of us, you know, meticulously worked out all of our parts and, you know, worked as a team to create the rhythm section grooves. And we would track all of our parts live, you know, together in, in the room. It cost more money to do, and it was harder to uh, get all four of us in one place at the same time. But I think the results are worth it. We did two CDs with Chris uh, safely through the night and Secession that I believe are both available through CD Baby. She can't be sure he really loves her. This is a song by Chris Orbach called Jane. It's enough to make her lose her mind Everybody in this world wants the same damn thing Just not at the same time Headed out to work before her Left a smiley face on a box of tea Turns on the news, lets out a laugh Once again, Earl, it's just you and me Then Jane walks the promenade Counts up all the things she's got Looking over what's left of the sky And on the train she thinks some more of all that she's believed before And wonders if it's worth another try But Brooklyn's got her heart And God knows why you, I know you've done a lot of gigs As a professional bass player in support of 
acts like Alan Parsons, Todd Rundgren, and of course is Happy Together Tour. How it sounds like you have like a, almost a prepackaged band. Now, has that band been yes. uh, part of all of those projects? Yes, yes. It's um, it is the Godfrey Townsend Band. It's myself, Godfrey Townsend on guitar, Steve Murphy on drums, and Manny Filcarazzo on keyboards. The quick history is this: Godfrey was the guitarist in the John Entwistle band. Oh. Uh, he toured with Entwistle for about six years uh, until until John uh, passed away in, in 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, you know, Godfrey's a local guy. He's from Queens and, uh, you know, toured with Entwistle and then would come home from those tours and play, you know, Cooper's Ale House or whatever, you know, local gigs. Um and I sort of met Godfrey on that scene in, uh, you know, the bars and the clubs in, in Long Island and, and, and in the city as well. And we would do, you know, all your basic garden variety, classic rock, Zeppelin, Beatles, Cream, Hendrix. And we both knew the same stuff. And, uh, you know, we liked each other. Uh, he liked the fact that I could sing and that I knew all those tunes, blah, 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 blah. So in 2001 there was a tour called the walk down Abbey road and it was an all-star Beatles tribute featuring Alan Parsons, Todd Rundgren, Ann Wilson from heart, David Pack from Ambrosia and John Entwistle. And I think Entwistle's, I don't know if it was like a stipulation that, you know, I'll do it if I can bring my band as the house band, or if they said like, well, who are we going to get as the house band? And Entwistle said, well, I'll just bring my guys. But, in any event, Entwistle's drummer was the house drummer, and Godfrey became like the sort of ringer guitarist uh, for this Walk Down Abbey Road tour, and Entwistle was the bass player. So they did, the format was each artist would do like two or three of their own songs and then a Beatles song. Okay. So Godfrey met Alan on that tour. And the following year, they did Walk Down Abbey Road again, only this time Entwistle wasn't on it. He was, well, he was scheduled to do The Who, and then he, and then he died, I think, the day before that tour started. But they brought Godfrey back as the guitarist and the MD for Walk Down Abbey Road. And hmm. uh, Alan was there again, Todd was there again, and Jack Bruce was now the bass player. And I forget who else, I think Mark Farner was on it, and, and Christopher Cross. Same format. Everyone plays like two or three of their own songs, and then and then the group does some a, a Beatles set. And uh, Godfrey was now the guitarist and the and the MD for this thing, you know, because when whenever you get all those artists in one place, you need a handful of you know ringers to kind of hold it all together. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> so that year, two thousand two, it was Godfrey and Steve Murphy was the drummer, and. Uh, I remember doing a gig with Godfrey at a club, and he was like, hey, Abbey Road this year, Jack Bruce is going to be the bass player. I'm like, wow, cool. So that tour finished, and then in December of 2002, Godfrey just sidles up to me at a club one night and goes, listen, uh, how'd you like to be in the Alan Parsons Project? And basically what had happened was Alan had approached him and said, yeah, I, w- I want to put together a new touring band. He, You know, Alan was living in Santa Barbara and wasn't using, you know, I guess his previous tours, he had a group of English 
guys, and it was costing him a fortune to fly these guys in from the UK. So he wanted an American touring band. So he approached Godfrey and said, all right, well, I'll get Murphy, and then we need uh, a keyboard player and a bass player. I had the whole English rock thing down. I sing. You know, I'm, I'm a qualified lead singer. So that's how that came together. So the four of us got together to do the Parsons gig, but then while we were home, we just said, all right, well, let's the four of us just do some gigs at home, you know, just mixed bag, classic rock stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just because of, you know, how, how we are or because we were learning the Parsons stuff, you know, with greater attention to detail because we were playing it with him. Uh, but whenever we did the cream stuff, whenever we did the Zeppelin stuff, we would really go out of our way to, to do it authentically, you know, learn the correct parts, learn the correct forms, but then also inject enough of our own personalities into it, basically approaching everything the way we were approaching the Parsons stuff. And we became a, a fairly successful, uh, classic rock cover band here in town and we started doing theme shows at bb kings uh we do a clapton tribute every year uh at clapton's birthday the four of us originally came together to do the parsons gig but then we started getting work on our own uh the walk down abbey road thing happened again and they approached alan and i and this time alan said well I'll do it if my guys are are the backup band. So that led to us backing up Todd, uh, Denny Lane from Wings, Joey Mullen from Badfinger, and Christopher Cross. So, you know, in one fell swoop, I got to work with, like, no less than three of my heroes. <laughs> yeah, know? that's that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting thing cuz like you you're obligated to learn the parts off the records exactly right, but then also inject your your personality into it and not just sound like a tribute band. You got to please the artist, make him feel comfortable. But then you've got audience members who have very specific sense memories attached to these records and these songs uh that you have to deliver to them because that's what they're coming for. And but you also need to be a professional. I mean, it's like the enthusiasm that you have as a fan is good, uh, but you also can't spend the gig staring at the guy. <laughs> no, that wouldn't go over too well. Oh, I'm like, oh, well, I get to do. <laughs> I mean, for me to play bass with Denny Lane is ridiculous. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous, really. I mean, to be to you know, we're playing band on the run, and like I'm you know, stepping into, I'm subbing for Paul McCartney, you yeah, know, yeah. it seems, it seems that way initially, <laughs> really all you're doing is just playing band on the run and Denny's there. Yeah. And you know, uh, it's sort of like, uh, blues clues, the kids TV show. I don't know if you've ever seen, no, uh, my daughter's really into it. And basically it's, uh, one of the things that, uh, that they do on blues clues is like they open up the storybook and then the guy, jumps into the book it, it, it you know i'm, I'm gonna skidoo into this book you know blue skidoo we can too and they boom and then they're in the book yeah so it's sort of like you're skidooing into your record collection you know 
to do uh, Open My Eyes and, you know, Hello, It's Me with Todd Rundgren. You know, it's like, well, am I just on a gig and Todd's there, or am I skidooing into, you know, <laughs> my LPs, you know? Yeah. Um, so the four of us have done a lot of those kinds of gigs, like the house band for, uh, you know, there's the, there was Walk Down Abbey Road, and then the Hippie Fest, and now this Happy Together thing. Uh, you know, we've developed a reputation as, as being uh, a, a very good classic rock band do you guys have a management is that how you got the happy together tour <laughs> that's or? A good, it's funny you mention that because we are sort of at this point now you know we're not working with alan anymore alan's using um uh west coast guys uh because his his workload has kind of slowed down you know he's not really doing a whole lot of live shows anymore uh-huh. and um and he it's just a, as a matter of convenience and also for us you know it's you know, we we can't really keep ourselves available for you know two shows in the summer necessarily. Um, but you know, having done the Happy Together thing, we've been sort of discussing that a lot. Like, how do we take this, you know, a step further? Uh, we've done some original stuff together. Godfrey did a CD uh, called "Easy Journey to Other Planets" that's available on CD Baby uh, that the four of us are on. And, uh, you know, we, we've just been lately discussing what our next move is going to be as a, as, a, as a band. You know, we don't want to just keep going and playing the same clubs, playing the same, you know, classic rock covers over and over again. I think it, at, at, at some point we will have someone other than one of the four of us managing us and running, running the, uh, the business end of it and getting some different kinds of gigs for us. You know, backing up artists is great, but you're still depending on them. Uh, you're hoping, okay, I hope Alan's got enough gigs this year. I hope he decides to tour this year. I think there's enough of a market for what we do, just, you know, the four of us, that uh, we're going to try and exploit that uh, in the next couple of years and, uh, and see where that, where that takes us. So I think we're, you know, we're, we're sniffing around at some, at some agencies and, and, and things like that. Yeah, so what, what, what do you anticipate uh, this next project being? What, do you, what would you like to do? What, the four of us? Yes. Um, well, I, I, I know that Godfrey's got a couple of new songs that he's working on. The, the CD that he's got now is uh, like an instrumental guitar rock thing. Uh, if you're a fan of, like, of, of Jeff Beck and, uh, and Robin Trower and, and some of that, uh, you'll, you'll like his CD. This is a Godfrey Townsend band with Closer to You.
but he's got some new stuff. He's got a couple of new vocal tunes. And I, I, I think what we will probably wind up doing is like a, a Toto type of vibe where we're doing, we're doing vocal tunes with a slight kind of muso edge to them with, you know, with like, you know, the live rhythm section with some solos and some, you know, and some, some more playing on it. And I think the four of us will all contribute songwriting ideas. You know, I've, I've got some, some tunes that I think would fit into that format. Um, Manny's got some keyboard pieces that I think would, would, would fit in. Uh, so I, I could see us doing something like that. And just to get more gigs, you know, good, good paying gigs, uh, steady, you know, steadier work. Cause right now it's, you know, we're, we're, we're running to back up whoever, you know, needs us to back them up. But there's a lot of other stuff that we could be doing, I think, on our own. We're still, I, I, I wish I had a more definitive answer for you because we're still trying to figure that out. When the first leg of Happy Together ended, we had a nice chat on the bus on the way home. Like, okay, where is this thing going? You know, sure. Yeah. Do, we, do we find another artist to, to latch on to or do we try to take what we do and kind of move it up a level on our own? You know, so we're still kind of deciding what to do. We played on Saturday night at this club I just I mentioned before, KJ Farrell's, uh, which has sort of become our little gymnasium that we go to and, you know, keep our chops up on. You know, you can only, you, you get to a point where it's just sort of like, well, okay, another bar gig, another, you know, Clapton, Hendrix, Cream, Zeppelin. Okay, well, uh, what else? Uh, what else can we do here? <laughs> um, so, so that's the deal with that. <laughs> so, with all this uh, touring, how do you balance your family life? Is that is there a pretty significant impact? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, just the, the, the simple truth of um, you know when it was just me and my wife, or when it was just me. Uh, you know, okay, the date is, uh, we leave, uh, July 15th, we come back August 15th. Okay. And you leave and then that's it. Now they're sort of like, okay, well, who's going to, who's going to take care of Francesca? You know, I'm, I'm the stay at home parent. So if I'm, if I'm gone for three weeks, there's a lot of extra planning that's, uh, that's involved, uh, that didn't, that didn't used to be. And then there's also the consideration of like, where's daddy? You know, mm-hmm. and Francesca is, I mean, she's two, so I don't think she has that sense of like, where's my daddy? I mean, she knows that she, that, that I'm, that I'm not there, but I don't think she's got, you know, that's the great thing about two year olds is that they're very sort of self involved. They don't get into these existential sort of like <laughs> dilemmas. It's very much like my immediate needs. So, you know, if she's got her toy to play with and someone's with her, she's, she's happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's ob- just, just the obvious considerations of, you know, logistics of like, okay, one of us isn't going to be around for a certain amount of time. Uh, does the gig pay enough to, to bring home a salary and cover the babysitter? You know, all the, all those kinds of things that would happen in any household where somebody who, you know, was home taking care of the child is now working. Skype is a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, for video chatting and all that, all that kind of stuff. But I can tell you that my career has definitely taken on a new focus that it might not have had before. I've had to weed out some of the situations that I was in that I, that I couldn't, that I just can't 
uh, give my full attention to anymore. Not just in terms of, you know, financially, like if, you know, the gig doesn't pay enough, I can't do it anymore. But if it's, if it's something, you know, everything that I do now is either, you know, pays really well, or it's something that leads to something else. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, You can't, you know, I'm not going to drive to Connecticut for a gig that pays $75. (laughs) No. You know what I mean? Whereas in the past, hey, that sounds like it could be fun. I think I'll do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I had always assumed, you know, when I was younger, I thought, oh, yeah, one day I'll have kids and I'll, I'll, you know, if I'm not a totally rich and famous rock star, I'm going to go into, like, panic mode and and you start taking, like, every gig that comes in. But in, in, in reality, what happens is it kind of, like, it just focuses you and you 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 become much more uh efficient you know you have to be you can't be you know parenting is something that takes up i don't want to say all of your energy but it takes up enough of your energy that i mean you you really have to be um together <laughs> mm-hmm, and and, yeah. and really centered and and aware you don't want to panic and do things out of out of fear and, and anxiety just because, you know, you need to make effective decisions uh, if, if for no other reason than to set a good example, you know, yeah, sure. uh, and, to, and to create a household where, where the child feels safe. I mean, when I realized that, you know, Francesca is going to look at me and that's going to be her opinion of what a man is, you know, I need to set a good example for her. So if I'm, if I'm grumbling about like, I got to go drive to Connecticut for $75, you know, (laughs) I I don't want to create a household that where, you know, I I don't want her raised by a a dad who's, who's, you know, grumpy and angry all the time. So, you know, all the silly battles that you play in your own head, like, Oh, I don't want to ask for too much money. I don't want this guy to think I'm a jerk. You know, you just, you just become a little bit more professional about everything and you don't get as emotionally invested in the outcome of, of every single thing. You stop yearning for things and you just say, okay, so what am I doing here? What do I really want to do with myself? Okay. Let me make a plan, put that into motion. You know, uh, the whole thing of suffering for your art, all the Mm. glory, of being alone in your room with a bottle of whiskey and your songs, man, <laughs> that goes away. That yeah. goes away. That's that, that, that's that nonsense goes away very quickly. And it's like, look, you have my number. You need me. This is what I charge. Let me know. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. you know, and it just, you, you, it forces you to become more efficient, not just as a musician, but as a person, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a lot less emotionally, Invest. I mean, it's a great phrase that George Carlin came up with. Uh, he was referring to the human race, about the future of the human race. Uh, but he's like, when he, he divorced himself from uh, what he calls being emotionally invested in the outcome. He mm-hmm. says, if the planet explodes and the human race gets blown to oblivion, fine. He says, I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he says, I'll be, I'll be dead, you know, before it happens anyway. So I'm just enjoying the freak show. You know, and that's a, I, you know, that's a great phrase for me. When I get to the, you know, if I show up to the gig, as long as I'm on time, all my equipment works, and they pay me what they said they were going to pay me, 
everything other than that is you know i used to be the, i used to be the guy going like oh my god what what, what the 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 drummer's uh, hi hat is is busted now what are we going to do <laughs> it's like well i guess we're going to do the gig without a hi hat <laughs> See yeah. what happens, you know, yeah. and it used to be for some reason, I used to be the one I, it, I in, in my own head. It, somehow it became my job to help solve all the problems, yeah. you know, like, oh, what can I what can I do to help out? And now I'm like, you know what? I, my job is to play bass and sing, maybe sing, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's about it. Uh, so, you know, because most of my m- mental and, and, and spiritual and physical energy uh goes to my to my child you know because if you're sweating out like oh i don't care for the way this drummer locks into the pocket you know and then you come home and she's got a cold Mm -hmm. or she's coughing in the middle of the night or she's got a fever or she's got a rash or something like that you know that you you gotta you, you gotta be on call for that so music becomes uh something that's uh you know i'm still very passionate about and i still love it but i'm not as emotionally invested in everything being just right or holding myself to some sort of impossible standard you know it's guys that stay for years and years and years still trying to impress their you know their their high school music teachers or impress themselves and I'm mainly in, in, interested in, you know, doing the best that I can do and being a good and being a good father, and that means like being proud of myself, handling myself graciously in in business, and staying focused on what I want to do. Let's uh, talk a little bit about your uh, solo work. Um, yeah, yeah. I've really been getting into that a lot. I mean, I uh, needed to put some songs into the. Uh, the road diaries and yeah, uh, I know. I, I I meant to send you those. I apologize. Oh no, no problem at all. I don't. I have no problem uh, helping contribute to. <laughs> well, that's to your, I, have, uh, I, I have no problem with that either. Exactly. So I mean, <laughs> so I've been. I've been. Uh, my wife and I have been really jamming out to some of those songs. Um, oh, what cool. what exactly is your songwriting process like? Um, I, you know, I, I don't. I don't really have a set songwriting process. Um, you know, ideas will float around for a long time sometimes before they get used for anything it's 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 interesting that you bring this up because my songwriting process has recently changed uh since the happy together tour you know i've sort of rediscovered the music that i really love which is you know classic you know am gold from the 60s (laughs) the three minute single and uh for a while i mean i started writing songs when I started recording, when I got my first four track and would make demos and things, I realized that I needed something to record and I wasn't going to record cover songs my whole life. So I better write some songs that eventually grew into me writing songs as a means of self-expression. You know, if there was something going on in my life, I would write a song about it, you know, and, you know, and that was fine. And I got really good at that. But when I started doing more live shows, Going on tour, uh, you know, backing up uh, different artists, you know, I began to notice this difference between like, you know, we get together to do, let's say, uh, you know, a Beatles tribute. You know, a bunch of us would get on stage and we'd all play 
these Beatles songs together, and it was easy because we all know the songs, and we know all the parts, and we'd go, and we'd have a grand old time, and everyone's smiling, and the audience is loving it, we're loving it, we're having a great old time. And then there was my music. Oh, it's got to be perfect, and oh, this part has to be exactly the guitar part that I wrote, and you know, oh, the, 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 this guy screwed up, or this, oh, the sound isn't right, oh. and like whenever I would do a live show with my stuff, it was always stressful because I had, again, I had so much invested emotionally in the thing being perfect, and I started to realize why can't I do one of my tunes live? with the same sort of looseness and enjoyment that I do the cover stuff with. And I started to really think, well, what am I doing here? What am I trying to achieve as an artist? And what I want to do is get up and rock out. You know, I like being a bass playing front man. I yeah. really enjoy, you know, whenever we would do like, when we play with the Godfrey band, the Beatles stuff usually falls on me. Uh, you know, all the McCartney stuff, you know, when we do, we do live and let die. We do band on the run. We do birthday. I'm usually, I, I get to do my McCartney thing. And, and I, so I, I like being, you know, singing lead and playing bass. I really, I really enjoy driving the band from the bass and also being the front man. So that's what I do when I do my solo stuff. And so now I'm writing the, this new batch of songs that I'm working on. I write, with my live performance in mind, instead of necessarily going, uh, you know, I'm going to write about this particular event and then try to recreate this recording live. Now I'm, I, I'm writing the song with live performance in mind, you know, coming up with a, with a set of changes that I, that I want to play melodies that I want to sing and feel comfortable to sing. Cause when I was at the peak of my, you know, self-expression phase of songwriting and every song was me, you know, slitting my wrists open and spilling blood onto the page. Uh, the gigs were pretty exhausting. I mean, I've, I've got a song. I don't know if you, did you, did you download the pleasant tension? Yeah, album? I got okay. all of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a song called always judgment day on the pleasant tension CD, you know, and it's all, Always Judgment Day. I was so angry and frustrated when I wrote that song uh, that it became like exhausting to play that song live because I had to like relive the thing <laughs> that was that happened to me that made me write the song. I had to relive this trauma, and I, I mean, it's literally the chorus is me shouting always like at the top of my range, <laughs> and like every time we would do the song, I would I would it was like exhausting. Like, do I have to? slip my wrists every time I you know I do the song I decided that I I didn't want to go through that every time here's a little sample from Always Judgment Day by John Montagna she can't take that look off her face Can't smile cause she loves to hate But anytime her hounds come barking at my gates I don't have to feed them And it's always just 
know, music should be fun, you know. And watching Mark Lindsay get out and 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 sing, you know, Kicks and Hungry and Just Like Me, uh, watching Mickey Dolans get out and sing Clarksville and Stepping Stone, watching the Turtles, uh, you know, do their thing. I said, that's what I want to do. You know, I don't want it to be this painful. You will now all join me as I suffer. You know, yeah. and, please, and then, oh, by the way, please get on my mailing list. You know, <laughs> uh, now I just want to have some tunes that I can go out and play. So I write, I write with that in mind now. I mean, obviously, I, I want some lyrics that have some meaning to them. Uh, I will definitely make the lyrics sound good. You know, I, I just like the way, you know, I'll start, I'll, lyrics will, 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 uh, generally get suggested by vowel sounds. You know, I said, down in the side of the right of the fine. Oh, what is that? Sound? Side of the, I'm riding and it's fine or whatever, you know. That, that's a, that's a good insight. So, uh, you have anything you want to promote? I'm um, obviously we'll be plugging your website and stuff. JohnMontagna.com. JohnMontagna.com. Everything I'm doing is on there. All the links to all my, my Facebooks and my Twitters and my MySpaces and my MyFaces and my my MyFace. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you so you're picking up the uh, Happy Together tour here we in a couple, start couple up, more days. We start up the, the the final leg of Happy Together a week from tomorrow. Uh, doing some stuff on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, Atlanta, Florida. We play Brooklyn, New York, on July 22nd, Seaside Park. Uh, with uh, Marty Markowitz's summer concert series, our borough president, Marty Markowitz. Uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, with that, we basically finish out the month of July with Happy Together, and then Hippie Fest starts up immediately after that. We're not even going to come home. We're going to go straight from Florida, uh, where Happy Together ends, go straight up to Detroit and start up Hippie Fest. And that's sort of like on and off the road all through August. Uh, that's Joey Mullen from Badfinger. Jack Bruce, Mitch Ryder, War and Rare Earth, and the Godfrey Townsend Band as the house band. Uh, so that should be that should be fun. And um, writing new material. Hopefully, there'll be a new John Montana CD before the end of the year. I'd like to see it before the end of the year. You know, beginning of next year. Getting very heavily into the video editing thing. Uh, gonna do some more stuff with that get more actively involved in that i had a podcast for a while called radio 418 uh that i haven't done an episode of pretty much since october of 2007 (laughs) so i keep meaning to launch it again because the podcasting thing seems like such a cool you know means of uh communicating with people but it's just time consuming to put it together and i can't like tour record edit video do gigs and take care of my daughter and do a podcast (laughs) so something's (laughs) gotta go and uh unfortunately it was radio 418 but there's about seven or eight episodes up there now if you go to 418 the words 418.podomatic.com i think there's like seven or eight episodes up there and uh you know it was just basically me djing uh, different recordings that I was involved in, uh, whether they were mine or stuff that I'd played on. Uh, but I'm, I may change the format and try and get some interviews in there. But again, it's fairly time consuming. So that may wait until Francesca starts preschool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, uh, but that's basically it. You go to johnmontagna.com and, and you'll see everything you need to see. 
Uh, my tour schedule's up there. Photos are up there. Uh, videos, you know, whatever I'm doing, you know, that's like pretty much the central location for it, including, including this. Well, very cool. <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, John. Yes, uh, you too. Wish you well on the rest of your tour. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. Thank you. So we'll talk to you later. You got it, bro. Take care. See you. All right. Yep. Bye. I'd like to thank my guest today, John Montagna, for being on the program. We're going to close this episode with a song by John Montagna from his solo CD, Senza. This song called Stone in the Water. Thanks for checking out Music Live Radio. We'll catch you next time. I'm your host, Dan Sauter.
Thank you.